I speak to you in the name of the living God, blessed Trinity, and lover of your souls. We expect them before we purchase a new vehicle or accept an injection into our arms. We want assurances before we expose our skin to beauty products. They're required by the FDA, CPSC, NFPA, EPA, Ohio eCheck, and every five-year-old striving to earn their badge in safety town. <laughs> safety checks are how human beings determine the genuineness, the quality, the presence of anything. A safety check is a test, a trial imposed to assure us that we will not be harmed. But are you ever really sure? I doubt it. Because we even safety check God. That's what's happening in today's reading from Exodus. The Israelites put God to trial, checking whether the one who brought them out of Egypt has what it takes to get them through the wilderness and out the other side. Their safety check is a water test. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? They whine in Moses' ear, and I think it's whining because just days before, the people were whining about something else. Why do you keep testing me and God, Moses asks them. See, God had just made the clouds rain bread. But apparently that was not enough assurance of their safety. Nope. Just a few verses later, the people are creating for themselves a new God. Moses is exasperated. If God can rain bread from the clouds, can't these people trust that God could rain water? Even God was exasperated. If they want water, God says, um, I know what I'll do this time. I'll rain it from a rock. Yeah, I, I think that will help them trust me a bit more, but no luck. They put me to the test, though they had seen my work. That's how today's psalmist imagines God reflecting on this water test. These people are wayward in their hearts, God continues. They do not know my ways. Wayward in their hearts. See, all that wandering in the desert was emblematic of something that was already going on inside the people. They were wandering in their inner selves, constantly safety-checking God. Because when they looked into their hearts, their hearts asked, is the Lord among us or not? That's how today's passage ends in Exodus. The phrase among us is another word for inner self or heart. The people wandered in here, wondering whether God was there. In 1934, a young man named Billy Graham asked a similar question question. Is Jesus in your heart? Graham first asked this question of himself. He says he made a decision for Christ inspired by a revivalist preacher, and within a decade, Graham was preaching the same message. Is Jesus in your heart? 
It became one of the most well-known, simple, and direct methods for guiding someone from sin to salvation. And nearly 20 years after that day, Billy Graham published his first tract with a text that would become known to many as The Sinner's Prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart. And all the people said amen. The people who loved safety checks for their cars and for their kids, they finally had a validated test for their souls. Some have since linked the sinner's prayer or likened it to hellfire insurance. Only say the word and I shall be safe. By 1990, Gallup poll showed that 74% of Americans had made, and I quote, a personal commitment to Jesus Christ, just as Billy Graham and others had invited them to. 95% of that group called themselves born again in the language that these preachers popularized. The New York Times was even excited about it. They covered Graham's largest attended event on the Great Lawn of Central Park, reaching 250,000 people in one day. They all had a chance to pray that sinner's prayer. That was 1991, a year after the Gallup poll, solid statistics. But from there, the numbers trend downward because there was critique, critique of the sinner's prayer. The critique was that though it shared biblical language, no one in the Bible had ever prayed it. The language came from Scripture, but the phrases were tossed in a word salad with cherry-picked verses on top. Even evangelical preachers at the time began to question whether something was off with the prayer. One prominent Southern Baptist leader said at a widely attended conference, I'm convinced that many people in our churches are simply missing the life of Christ. And a lot of it has to do with what we've sold them as the gospel, i.e., pray this prayer, accept Jesus into your heart, invite Christ into your life, should it not concern us that there is no such superstitious prayer in the New Testament? Should it not concern us that the Bible never uses the phrase, accept Jesus into your heart, or invite Christ into your life? It's not the gospel we've been preaching. Critique. It was coming toward this prayer on a global scale. One English Christian revivalist said that he worried the sinner's prayer had sent more people to hell than all the bars in America. <laughs> Why? Why would hellfire insurance make evangelical hearts worry that hell was now their intended destination? I wonder if it's because, is Jesus in my heart? That question sounds a lot like the whining question the Israelites asked God in the wilderness. You know, the one God got all annoyed about? Is God in the midst of us or not? It's like the groom turning to his lover just after the I do to safety check the relationship. But are you really with me in this, my love? The question Billy Graham asked of his listeners is the same question the Israelites asked God, and God did not give a forgiving response. 
God named that place where the Israelites questioned God, Meribah and Massah, which in Hebrew translates as a place of bitterness in the desert where my people rebelled. Is Jesus in my heart? It may be less a prayer of salvation and more a prayer of rebellion. Why? Well, if the Israelites' experience has anything to tell us, it's that a safety check with God is more likely to bring about bitterness than deliverance. And I don't think it's because God is closed-minded or doesn't like asking us asking questions. The reality is that God went the extra mile to respond to this test by making water come from a rock. But bitterness grew between them nonetheless because the people kept missing this one thing. God was already with them. God was already among them the whole dang time. Even in today's reading, God reminds Moses yet again, okay, don't forget, when uh, you and I do this water test for the people, I'll be standing there on the rock before you hit it with your stick. So the imagery we get in the text is God quite literally standing in the midst of them, giving them exactly what they asked for, and the people respond with, but is God really here? Is God really here? Is God really here? I remember the day I asked this question in a new way. See, I had prayed the sinner's prayer, seven years old, holding my mother's hand. But during my adolescence, I worried. If I had let God into my heart, did that mean I could let him out? I worried that God was not in the midst of me or of us because you see the word homosexual had for a decade been bouncing around the back of my skull like a ping pong ball. I remember the day in January of 2009, I stayed home from my grad school classes and I sat in front of my fireplace, like literally in front. I was as close as I could get to it without being burned and I was just staring just staring at the flames. Billy Graham ended his first revivalist sermon with quotations from Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. But the flames for me that day were not Jonathan Edwards' flames or Billy Graham's flames. They were more like Moses' burning bush flames or the pillar of fire flames that were guiding the Israelites. These flames were guiding me, flames that would not consume me. My heart knew I was being led out of a wilderness. And I don't remember thinking anything specific. I was watching these flames on intuition alone, but I knew my spirit was unsettled. It had been wandering, seeking rest. And as I watched the flames dance, I spoke aloud for the first time, I'm gay. I'm gay. Never before had those words touched my lips. I had only worried them through these anxious questions and safety checks for my soul, but this day there was a compassionate affirmation. 
I knew in my heart, finally, what author Frederick Buechner knew when he penned these words in his book, Telling Secrets. He writes, I have come to believe more and more that God speaks through the fathomless quiet of the holy place within us all. I believe that this quiet and holy place in us is God's place. And it is what marks us as God's. I have sensed the presence of a presence. I have felt the promise promised. I have bumbled my way into at least the outermost suburbs of truth that can never be told but only come upon, that can never be proved but only lived and loved. The question the Israelites asked in the wilderness, the question Billy Graham and other preachers asked in the revivalist tent, is, in my humble opinion, the wrong question. We don't have to ask if Jesus is in our hearts or if God is in the midst of us. And we certainly don't need to seek an answer to these questions in order to assure our safety or salvation. We only have to bumble our way into the quiet place of recognition in our own hearts. The recognition that God is already there, ever was and ever will be. There is no safety test to prove that that new skin product won't give you hives let alone a safety check to prove your salvation. The only option is to live in the love graced to us by God through Jesus Christ. Well, there are other options which are to always ask the anxious questions whenever you'd like. But if you do, prepare yourselves for the weather forecast that day, which might be bread falling from the sky or living waters gushing from the rocks in your backyard patio, because that's kind of how God works. But even if all that were to happen, it won't have changed the reality of God's steady presence the whole time. God is already in the midst of you. Jesus is already in your heart. Harden not your hearts as your forebearers did in the wilderness at Meribah and on that day at Massa when they safety checked me, God says to us again through the Psalms. God says, harden not your hearts, not because God is trying to get in, but because God wants you to get in, to access the place God already dwells within you, the place that is God's the place God already fills, the place God already knows, the place God already loves, your heart. <laughs>